Pencils down. That's the end. It's been a, a frantic three days. Uh, it's been a frantic week, quite frankly, between... I don't, I don't know whose idea it was to make the Futures game, the All-Star game, and all that the same week as the MLB draft. That's crazy. Uh, but we're finally going to wrap things up. I'm Justin Ladd. This is Smoke Signals. I'm joined by, of course, nobody better than Willie Hood to talk about the draft. Willie, have you had a chance to catch a breather and get some sleep yet? <laughs> Justin, I'll just say this. Um, I think the local Kroger is out of coffee now because of me. <laughs> well, at least the MLB draft is contributing to local businesses outside of Colorado. I don't know. Uh, wow. Yeah, just I, I don't know whose idea it was to do that all in one week. But thank goodness, like, it would have been fun to see more Cleveland prospects, obviously, in the Futures game. But kind of glad that whole aspect of things was pretty cool because toned down because, you know, it gave us a chance to focus on the draft where – you really needed it in a, in a jam-packed week. There was other stuff going on? So, uh, apparently, there was other stuff going on. You, you know, it's even weirder that the minor leagues are still playing. Like, I'm so used to, like, those teams not playing during the All-Star break or, or during this thing. So Yeah, it was kind of unusual. There's no All-Star break for them. Yeah. Never again. I hope, I hope they change that next year. I mean, it, it's fun. I just wish they'd spread things out so they can have more... Topics of conversation. I mean, I guess nobody really focuses on the draft the way it's it's a niche industry niche thing for sure. People like us and You're um, certainly not marketing, and I don't think that's something that Manfred and well the owners at in Major League Baseball understand. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, baseball can't really have their draft in like December or November because um, kids in high school need to get to school and they need to, they can't just you know go to school and decide, like, oh, I'm not going to stay here anymore. I got drafted, so I'm out. Because then you leave college baseball uh, teams in a lurch. So, but, yeah, I mean, you could – the the draft being in June and the All-Star gaming in July, for sure, at least gave you two different months where you kind of controlled the conversation or at least had some topics. But that's only for who wants to talk about the draft. That's only for people who uh, should be writing about the draft. Uh, in that same vein – how come the Indians didn't get any darn outfielders, Willie? What happened? 19, 19 pitchers. So not one guy. You're telling me not one guy is going to be at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario like next year in the outfield from this draft? Well, Justin, if they would had a pick in the top five, maybe there would have been somebody that could have impacted the lineup um, next year or a couple of years from now. But um, frankly, I think you and I both know that none of these guys are going to impact – the, the majors for a few years. There'll be a couple of guys that move quickly and, and get advanced or pushed because of team needs. And because some of the guys in this draft are that advanced, remember some of the guys had to go back to school last year, um, whether they wanted to or not, just because last year's draft was cut down to five rounds. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the reason the Indians have not selected a ton of impact hitters, like if you look at the draft – and you look at big-time bats in the draft that kind of have famous names. Yes, Cleveland has not drafted any of them because you see most of those names get drafted in the top five, like you just said. 
And we were just talking before we started hit record that the, the consensus number one overall, there was none. Like you said, uh, Henry, Henry, or yeah, Henry Davis was the first overall pick and the pirates decided that like an hour before the draft. And last year with Spencer Torkelson, there was no debate about who was number one overall. He was the best player in that draft. And, He's already in double A. This year, that wasn't the case. So if the Indians, uh, if the first overall pick wasn't a sure slam dunk this year, you can bet the 23rd pick wasn't either. So uh, that's just kind of how things unwinded. Willie, do you think the Indians were concerned about Shane Bieber with this draft? Do you think that's why they took 19 pitchers? I think you're looking too far down the road. I think Scott Barnesby... um, clearly laid out in answer to that question during the conference call when he stated something similar uh, to a very similar question. Um, I, I definitely think that they loaded up on pitching because, well, I don't want to get sidetracked and start talking about models and all of that, but I will say I kind of alluded to what I called a market adjustment, if you will, when you load up on so many, um, young players from the international period, it's as if they did the same thing as the international period, just in the opposite, where they, instead of loading up on position players, they loaded up on pitching. Um, A lot of reasons why I think is because one, you can never have enough pitchers. Two is that um, I think they were probably driven up the boards because a lot of these college guys have a longer track record. They've known them for years whereas some of the younger prep players that they would have been looking at went went right before their picks. And also, they um, they didn't have the track record that some of these college players had. Yeah, that's really, that's really important to note is, A, like you said, a lot of international hitters, they don't typically look at pitchers in the international classes. If they do, they don't spend a lot of money there. I mean... Carlos Vargas, I don't think, got a huge signing bonus. Francisco Perez is a guy that's still hanging around. And then Jeff Ellis has mentioned, you know, Danny Salazar and Bartolo Colon and the artist formerly known as Foster Carmoda. Not a great track record. So, yeah, hitters internationally, pitchers, college, stateside, um, some high school, depending on how the draft falls. And, yeah, like you said, as far as models are concerned, the Indians were very – data heavy as far as they relied on data and stats and video from college. Those guys just had a longer track record than a lot of hitters. And the Indians weren't the only team to go heavy on pitching. I mean, the angels took 20 pitchers, the Dodgers, I think took 18. So um, a lot of teams took a lot of pitching just because a, you know, like you said, a lot of guys went back to school who probably would have been drafted last year if it wasn't a five round draft. And, it's a little, you know, you have more track record on these guys and that just happened to be the strength of the class. So in, in baseball, it's not like NFL or NBA where you can draft for need if you're in the back half of the first round, like the Indians are, which, you know, mind boggling that the Indians are in the back half of the first round, which means they're not a terrible franchise, despite what you, you know, might think or hear, um, you take the best player available and you see how things work out. So, so Justin- the best the best player available was pitching. Yeah, Justin, let me run through the pitchers really quick. Um, I'm not going to mention all of them, but I'll run through the ones who were eligible last year and returned to school and ended up drafted probably lower 
than they would have been a year ago. Tommy Mace, um, who went pick 69 overall, he wanted to return to school and try to get his stock back up into the first round. Didn't happen. He went to the six to the 69th pick. Ryan Webb returned to school because he had an opportunity to start, ended up injured, and they were able to grab him in the fourth round. Uh, Tanner Bibby is a player that went back to school and has the option to go back to school as a, as a grad transfer. He'll end up signing. Um, let me see, Jack Leftwich was another one that was available last year, decided to go back to school and see if he could develop himself. Let's see. Hunter Stanley was available last year and decided to go back to school. He would have been a senior last year and became a fifth-year senior this year because of COVID. Trenton Denholm. Trenton Denholm was a guy I thought could go anywhere between the second and fourth round last year. Um, and I, I can't remember if Reed Johnston was available or not, but you have at least five guys there that were pushed back into the draft and – you know, as I mentioned, Tommy Mace, I thought was probably a second or a third round pick last year. Denholm, I had in the second to the fourth round. Vivi, I had in the fifth to the seventh round. Um, the, the point is, though, is a lot of quality arms ended up going back to school for a variety of reasons. Some of them because they didn't think they were going to get the money that they wanted. And I'm going to say most of them aren't going to get the money that they wanted last year. Yeah, this is a very unique circumstance. I would, and I asked you this earlier on Twitter. We were talking. Do you think that this is like a shift in organizational philosophy? Because, like, Cleveland took a lot of older pitchers, but I think they're older because of last year's circumstances. So, I don't think this necessarily represents a change in draft strategy or model, as it does just picking to the strength of the class, there was a lot of depth because what we just taught, what you just said, a lot of guys went back to school because they had to. Gavin Williams went back. And everything, COVID messed everything up. Um, Gavin Williams went yeah, back. Not, this is not a new strategy for them, right? What's that? This is not a new strategy. This is just the circumstances created by COVID, basically. So this is not like, you, you're not going to, you know, do the mock draft next year and say, well, the Indians totally flipped their model last year. No, you're not going to carry us over and, and think this is a new strategy for them. No, I, I don't think the philosophy has changed at all, to be honest with you. I, I think there's been some, as I said, the phrase market adjustments and essentially responding to what's going on on the landscape as a whole with players being limited, with organizations being limited. Um, there was a lot of factors that played into this. And, and I think that they were very smart to stay with their board and when they felt like that was the best player available, whether it was a pitcher or not, um, I think also that's something that's not been mentioned is some of the players went higher on the board than maybe they would have otherwise um, because teams wanted to make sure that they got some of the young bats before they were able to drop down to teams like Cleveland who had several guys that you and I think – Cleveland would have picked perhaps in the second round. I'll, I'll throw out a few names, and these are just random guys that you and I feel um, would have potentially been picks for Cleveland. Um, Wes Cath has been mentioned in some rumors. Um, he was a teammate of Carson Tucker in high school. Uh, James Triantos, both of them went two picks ahead of Cleveland, or the, first, or the two picks right ahead of Cleveland. And then Edwin Arroyo, who I mocked, 
to Cleveland in Prospects Live's uh, mock draft, and he went top of the round to Seattle, you know. Um, so there was a lot of talented prep players there, and the college bats were scarce. It was it was considered a weak class for college bats, and the ones that were there had their flaws, um, had other concerns, strikeout issues, or um, they weren't high on base guys. They lacked the speed or the ability to play a position other than second base or left field. Um, they had some good qualities to them, but they also had some concerns to them. So I don't really... With college bats, with college bats, I would say you're, there's two categories. There's your high-impact guys that you feel good about, and those are your Henry Davis's and the other guys that usually go in the top half of the first round, like Spencer Torkelson or whoever else. And the rest are guys like Micah Preeze, like the Indians took a few a couple years ago late in the draft, and, and Cameron and... Um, Cameron or Connor Cox, who they took this year. I think it's those two things. There's there's not a lot of in between. You either got a high impact, or you're looking for sleepers, and then the rest are all kind of filler. Sure. And the two bats that Cleveland did come away with were two unique situations where Jake Fox, very athletic family, dad played pro ball, um, was also kind of a late riser in the draft. Similar to Carson Tucker, obviously not on the same scale as Carson Tucker, but somebody that could offer the same offensive profile as a, a Tyler Black or a Connor Norby, if he develops in three or four years, you know, um, you may parallel that type of player, and that's the chance that Cleveland was taken, taking him in the third round. Um, you know, I, I mentioned talking to Jeff Ellis on Twitter that he may have been the the lone overdraft for them as far as reaching for a prep player that they wanted or that they liked and somebody that I felt would be an overslot pay on, on day one. Um, you mentioned Connor Cox, a, a unique situation because he's essentially a red shirt sophomore, even though he's kind of got three seasons under his belt. He was injured his freshman season, went back last year. And then of course COVID scratched his season. So this was his first real season of uh, getting out on the field. So he didn't have a lengthy track record and he had an injury in his history. Uh, and that's part of the reason that he slipped to the 12th round. And I, I suspect Cleveland will overslot him there. I don't have a guess as far as, I mean, I could throw out a number, but it's just me throwing a dart at a wall. Um, but it feels like he'll be an overslot player. Typically though, the first couple of picks beyond the 10th round, are your overslot types um, as teams look to get players that they have floated down or guys that have slipped for one reason or another uh, due to questions regarding their signability. Yeah, I, I think that was a lot of what happened for Cleveland too. I mean, signability is one thing for sure uh, for guys who have options to go back to school and they think that, when teams have more data on them, you know, like Connor Cox, for example, like you said, this is the only year he's played and he slipped a little bit maybe because he doesn't have the track record. Cleveland liked what he did this year at Long Beach and they've got a, a decent history of producing good hitters. But if he goes back, maybe he has a monster year next year, he moves up into like, you know, day two. So those are things that could have happened. And I also think your point to value makes a lot of sense too because, and we haven't even talked about Gavin Williams yet. 
Kevin Williams is is a great pitcher who had a great postseason who has has burst onto the scene this year a little more. He made himself a lot of money in the postseason, I think. But I think it was a value too because they didn't foresee Gavin Williams being there at twenty three. I mean, you and I had very brief conversations about it just because you know what, what did we send the prospects live mock if um, the plan was of Gunnar Hogland. Um, Will Bednar or or Gavin Williams was there at 23, you scrap your other plans and you take which one of those is available, but we just didn't assume any of those three would be. And in the prospects live mock, they were not. And only Williams was available to them in this draft. But, you know, I don't think they thought thought he was going to get there. I don't think the, they thought Ryan Webb was going to get where he was. Um, <clears throat> maybe, maybe Connor Cox, like you said, fell a little more and they took value there. Um, maybe the same thing with Mace. Um, I don't really know about anybody else. I, th- I think you're right. Jake Fox might have been a bit an overpick, but to me that says that they really like Jake Fox and they didn't want to risk losing him before their fourth round pick. But that was the only one, and I don't think that's that much of a reach because if they didn't take him in the third round, there's a good chance he wouldn't have been there for the next pick. So if you're going to – if you like a guy enough to do that, that's the that's the way to do it. But – I think there's a lot of guys they took in this class that they just fell to places in the draft that Cleveland didn't think they would get to. And they said, well, we're not going to pass, you know, Williams up. We're not going to pass up um, Ryan Webb because Ryan Webb had first and second round grades, right? Yeah. Ryan Webb was, uh, had back of the first round chatter before the draft um, up until May, and then he had Tommy John surgery, and that's part of the reason that he dropped. He does have a short track record as a starting pitcher, but he's been an excellent reliever throughout his career at Georgia, and he has improved year over year. One of the things that I said that Cleveland really looks at is that improvement year over year from your college players. Um, In addition, he's a young senior. He's 22.2, so essentially 22 and then two months beyond that. Um, But he also offers a four-pitch mix. So there's there's reason to believe that he could be a starting pitcher again in the near future um, when he returns from Tommy John. Let's let's talk about Gavin Williams a little bit because I know people are going to want to hear about him. Um, he was really fun. <clears throat> you have a bigger background on him than I do. I, I only started watching him during the College World Series, and he had a monster game against Vanderbilt. 13 strikeouts, seven innings, uh, two hits, I believe, two runs, up to 100 miles an hour at the fastball, great competitor on the mound, two good breaking balls. The Indians seem to think that he'll, he'll help him develop the changeup. Um, I think he's got number two upside, maybe maybe even ace if things really break right, and, and a lot of this is new for him. And I think you pointed out in your um, analysis that not a lot of miles on his arm because of past injuries and being a reliever. So it's not like he's I – mean, he pitched a lot of innings this year, but he's doesn't have a lot of mileage on the arm that you normally would have for a college first-round pitcher. Yeah, Williams went into East Carolina's program, and not, if I recall correctly, they typically will start their young starters in the bullpen, so not uncommon for that to happen. Um, as a sophomore, he had a finger injury that ended up holding him back some. Um, he did get a few starts, but was largely kept in the pen and then had an injury reoccur and was kind of limited to the pen um, 
his junior season. If I were, I may have that confused because last year would have been his junior season and he only had a few starts last year. But I, I think what I meant is his sophomore season. He pitched around 20 games and most of those were from the pen because of that finger injury. Um, and then this season he went back. He was draft eligible last year. A guy that I would have thought would have been anywhere between third, fourth round pick just on sheer stuff and his size with the thought being that you're likely to get a closer or something like that from him. He came back this year, tweaked his mechanics, simplified things a little bit, um, looked as strong as ever, completely physical and dominant on the mound this season and pitched himself into the first round. I I definitely think that that playoff appearance against Vandy, um, kind of catapulted him from second round to first round. It did for me anyways, watching that, that was just an impressive outing against a lot of hitters that will probably end up in pro ball. Um, I think I told you that Williams could probably go right into to double A and dominate or at least hold his own right now. Now, I don't feel like Cleveland is going to do that. I don't think that's how they're going to handle him. But I think he's got enough present stuff that he is that type of competitor with that kind of stuff right now that he could go to double A and compete. I would agree. I, I don't think you'll see him um, until next year, really, out of Arizona. I don't know what they'll what they're planning on doing with some of these guys um, as they as they get into the class because there's a lot of guys that just pitch a lot of innings. Um, they might be careful with them, especially with not having pitched a lot last year and then coming back and pitching a full season this year in college. But, yeah, I think for sure it's reasonable to think that Williams starts 2022 in Akron, and that could be a fun rotation. Man, next year, 2022 in Akron, you could have Gavin Williams, Tanner Burns. Um, I think Logan Allen will be in Columbus by then, the, the good Logan Allen. Um, Daniel Spino. You may have both <laughs> Logan Allens and Nacra next year. I'm just saying. I, th- I think <laughs> I think that the you know, Logan T. Allen could be in AAA and the lo- other Logan Allen could be in AA, actually, the way things have gone. Um, yeah, proof that the pitchers don't always work out when the Indians acquire them, but, you know, some things happen that are good and, and some don't. Yeah, and so Logan T. Allen had a great AA debut. Yeah. All right, so we touched on Kevin Williams. Um do you, do you see the ace upside? Do you think he's more of a safe number two? I, I told you I think he's Does a number two. Does ace seem too high? I'm hesitant to say anyone's a number one ever. I, I would point to one arm in the system. It takes a lot. What's that? It takes a lot to be an ace. Yes, it does. And I think at least three plus pitches, you better have probably plus command or control, or you better have double plus pitches and average control or something. You better be able to blow away hitters. Um, Gavin Williams, somebody I see, is a very safe number two. Assuming that plus curveball comes around, I think the um, slider could be an above average pitch with him in Cleveland's organization. That may end up being a a plus pitch itself, but I think the changeup is average and lags behind the other pitches. Um, but his pure power, his physicality on the mound, his ability to go deep into games and hold velocity, 
those are things that are traits that you will see with a, a number two or even a, a number one starting pitcher. And he's flashed all of those in college this season. Um, again, somebody that went back to college because he wanted to bet on himself, believing he could make more money. And he probably did make a lot more money. Um, he is a fourth year sign, so he's probably going to get an underslot deal. But I think it's going to be a healthy deal for him. I'll, I'll put it to you that way. Yeah, that slot's a little under three million. My guess is he gets close to two five. I don't know. I don't. I, you're the one who's good at this, not me. But I'm going to guess two five, just because that sounds. Yeah, that's that's close a reasonable guess. Slot. I would I would say as low as two, no higher than two five. So put him in at two points, uh, two and a quarter, and you know that's yeah. that's a heck of a pick. If you get him at two and a quarter, you get him at two five, regardless. All right. We got to talk about my guy, my favorite guy. I'm not not my favorite guy because he's the best guy in the draft, but I I just love this kid. He uh, he was really fun, also fun to watch in the College World Series, as a lot of guys were this year. Maybe it was just a novelty of having it back. I don't know, but uh, Doug Nikhazy, Doug Nikhazy, um, that left-hander with a, a vertical arm slot with the the back spending fastball and the twelve six curveball and deception, only six foot tall, and he is. Uh, put and this is this is a compliment. He's an absolute psycho on the mound. The guy is a competitor. He's intense. He's having fun. He's in the moment. Uh, he wants to win. Uh, fun stuff. I, I mean, the Indians love that high arm slot right now. They love the guys who have the ability to backspin a fastball up in the zone, and they love guys who can pair a big curveball with it because you know it's ideal for pitch tunneling and. Nikhazy has good metrics. I, I don't know. Maybe the size ends up limiting him starting-wise long-term, and I don't know how good the changeup is. The slider looked like it was a, a 45, maybe a 50. I don't know about the changeup, but <clears throat> I just enjoy watching Doug Nikhazy pitch because, A, he has that big curveball, and, and, B, he is just a boatload of fun on the mound. I think the uh, I think the slider has above-average potential. Um I went back and I watched him and, and, you know, I'm very, I guess, analytically driven when it comes to looking at pitching and, and deciding who I'm going to watch and who I'm going to type toward the Indians. And he just was on the fringe for me. So I was low on him admittedly. And after Cleveland drafted him, I went back and watched more of him. And I, and I definitely see, I love the moxie on the mound, if you will. I remember seeing one video where he told, told the hitter to um, hit the ball on the ground next time. <laughs> and it reminded me of a pitcher that's, that's no longer with Cleveland um, who had a, a similar type of uh, interaction with a hitter at one point in time in his career. Uh, I won't mention his name. We'll, we'll move along. <laughs> yeah, good call. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I enjoy Doug McKay's. Yeah. I wonder where the upside is there. Where do you think he fits? I mean, I know Jeff Ellis said he thinks he might be relief risk. I think he's a guy you could plug in as your 3-4 starter. I mean, they have not been scared off by size. I know that a six-foot left-hander is not typically the guy that you see pitch a lot of innings and be a consistent starter, but I uh, I think he can do it. I think the competitiveness that w- – the reason you call him crazy is that competitive nature. He's a fiery competitor on the mound. You want that. He's left-handed. I, I like that, obviously. 
He's a little bit older, same age as Logan T. Allen, same size as Logan T. Allen, actually carries a little bit more weight and um, has a little bit more velocity because he touches 94, 95. So um, typically a little bit lower than that. But I think Cleveland may be able to unlock a little bit with him. And, you know, with Cleveland's track record of developing pitching, I think we should be excited about getting 19 um, talented arms in the system. Um as I said, I wasn't in on Nikhazy. I'd watched him. I saw his numbers. I, I'm very much looking at uh, the analytical side when it comes to strike rates, walk rates, all of that. And he was just on the fringe. And, you know, I, I thought to myself, well, I'm making up my pitcher list. Should I include a little bit more this year? But you can also, you can also end up with a list of 150 guys, if you're not careful. So you have to kind of, um, <laughs> who am I going to watch and who am I, who am I not going to watch or who am I going to look at video for and who, who am I not going to look at video for? And I just, uh, I looked at it a little bit for him. I saw where his walk rate was and I just moved on. I know you and Jared both were on him though. And admittedly I was a little bit lower than I probably should have been. I don't, I don't know that I thought that he was an Indians pitcher. I mean, Yes, I did notice the vertical arm slot, and that's something you and I talked about heavily, is that, that that's something they're targeting right now, and this draft class proves that is they have a lot of guys in, in this class that throw from a very high arm slot because, A, like I just said, the backspinning fastball. So guys who throw 91-93, that's fringe average velocity, but because you can backspin it, it has carry at the top of the zone – it plays up above its velocity, so it, it looks faster, or it's harder to pick up, or it's above average um, spin it doesn't rates. have the usual. Yeah, high spin rates, and that high backspinning fastball doesn't drop. Like, you know, gravity takes the ball down no matter what, because you're throwing downhill. But because it has that backspin, that natural um, ride at the top of the zone, it doesn't drop as like it normally would, so it stays straight for a lot longer. So it's hard. it misses hitter hitters back to the top of the zone. Um, that that's one of the reasons I think the Indians love James Karinchak because he does that. Now they're looking for starters who can do that, and these guys don't throw ninety seven. Obviously, a lot of them, but you know they're looking for starters with the same traits. That's why they don't care about size as much. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if I thought Nikhazy was a guy they liked just because I wasn't really sure about like age, but. You know, old uh, a big time SEC performer, and like you've talked about so many times, ten strikeouts per nine innings, um, three walks per nine innings. That's kind of your the first thing you look at is if this guy strikes out ten per nine and, and walks about three per nine. That's you know roughly on the radar, and then they pair together the rest of the traits like that, like you know a high arm slot and SEC success. Absolutely, SEC performers was. Was and is a big thing, I think, because you're looking at an elite conference, one of the best conferences, if not the best conference in the nation um, when it comes to baseball. Um, football, we'll have another discussion, but that's not time for that. Um, you know, he's got that rising fastball, as you alluded to, or what some people would call a, a rising fastball. You see that with Karinchak and a lot of these draft picks today. I asked Barnsby the, the question the other day if that's something that they are – um, targeting or, or something has changed philosophically with the club with that. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with spin rates because that you see that rise on the fastball and it kind of runs out of the 
top to bottom out of the strike um, or from bottom to top out of the, the uh, strike zone on guys, the, the ball looks faster than what it is, whether the guy's throwing 90, 91, 92, because it's harder to catch up to at the top of the zone for a lot of batters. And then when you throw a curveball, like a lot of these guys throw, it, it gives the hitters a lot of um, plate or area of the plate they have to cover, and you don't see the break on the curveball. They're coming out of the same tunnel. It's, it's changing all You don't have a very long time to make a decision. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have a long time to make the decision, so it's very hard. Um, speaking of SEC, let's we got to get to the rest of these because we're already a half hour in. We've only talked about two players. Yeah, I mean, we talked about a few, but um, – Let's let's just kind of group the Florida guys because the Indians went ahead and just raided the kitchen of the Florida Gators. They grabbed Tommy Mace in the competitive balance round, a guy you said they, they kind of liked in high school. Um, Jack Lefwich, who had improved control this year, who ended up in the bullpen and was a swing man for them. Uh, probably not the greatest. You know, he did have a good year, but, I mean, I'm sure he was worried about his draft stock every time he'd – come out of the bullpen or start. Like, it's not very good for a guy who's trying to get drafted. And then Franco Aleman, who's kind of bounced around a lot of different schools, so I don't know a lot about, but apparently he's a huge kid with a big arm and throws pretty hard. I like Tommy Mace as a guy the Indians could do something with. Like, I feel like he's got, you know, he's got a decent fastball. He he worked on his kinetics and his delivery with drive line to try to improve the extension and the fastball with pitch design. He went from a sinker to a four-seamer. And to me, the rest of the stuff looks like fringe average average. Like, I think he's got four pitches, and I think two of them are probably 45s or 50s. And I feel like the Indians can work with him, um, A, to optimize the four-seam, because it's obviously sinkers are not good pitches right now in baseball. And, B, I think they can help him with his secondaries. And he's got a starter's body. That just, to me, sounds like a 3-4 starter, like a guy you can plug in the middle of the back half of your rotation, get 180 innings from, uh, a 3.5 ERA, nothing like, you know, Cy Young worthy, but a very solid starter that you feel comfortable throwing out there every fifth day um, who can, you know, maybe pitch in a postseason game if everything goes well. Um, and I think Leftwich could be a fast-moving reliever, and I'll, I'll leave you to talk about Franco Aleman as well as the other two now. Well, I agree with your assessment of Mace, I, I think there's a lot to work with. I think you got a number three, three or four starter with Mace. Uh, definitely need to sharpen up his secondaries, but he has a starter's build, and I think that uh, they'll bring him along. Somebody that I heard that they liked coming out of high school. Um, as you said, with Nikhazy, I'll go back there for a second. I think he's a number three or four starter. Um, Jack Leftwich is somebody you and I had talked about a few weeks ago, and I, I told you I thought Leftwich is um, – K rate was, or I'm sorry, his walk rate was a little higher than what they normally draft. And when we went and looked, it was actually right there. He's a little bit older of an arm, kind of been a a fireman for the Gators, taking whatever role he needed to that day and going out and performing. Um, Somebody I feel that could have potential setup potential in the near future. And then Franco Aleman, been to three different schools. I don't exactly know why. He's originally from Cuba. Uh, big, big frame, similar to Tommy Mace. Six foot six, 235. Uh, can run the fastball up to 98 by some reports. Typically sits down in the lower 90s. I think his slider could be an above average pitch. And just a reminder, when you see reports and I say a guy has, has an above average pitch or could have an above average pitch, 
these are projections into the future, not what they are presently. Um, and of course, things can change. And I could definitely be wrong based on the limited views and um, information that I have at my hands. But uh, I, I think Aleman has an above average slider, potential for above average control. Um, could be a swingman, could be a reliever, depends on how Cleveland develops him. He's very young for the class, like several of these arms, though. Yeah, Alamon doesn't quite fit them statistically, so I'm, I'm curious to see what they liked about him. Obviously, like you said, he gets up to 98, and he's a big, big kid. Um, but if you look at his stats, he doesn't quite pan out to what they normally take, which is interesting. Yeah, he doesn't get the strikeouts. So um, you think a, a player of that magnitude on the mound um, would be able to accomplish, but obviously they are looking at raw tools, and I think that's a good gamble for a 10th-round pick. Yeah, absolutely. And they got a lot of good gamble. I mean, not a lot of these guys are gambles, but there's a lot of arms that got value that I think fit fit their mold. And Alamon is a nice nice gamble in the way that he doesn't quite mash up with the rest of his class, but obviously they see something there. And clearly, someone pointed this out. I know Jeff Ellis responded to something on Twitter today about how Florida just has not – I mean, they've gotten good recruits, but – they have not really developed these guys quite well because, look, Mason left, which were both guys that we thought would get drafted last year, ended up going back to school because they fell out of the five-round draft. Christian Stout ended yeah. up going back and then getting drafted. And, and later round pick, I think it was, it wasn't at the top of the draft. It wasn't a first, second, third-round pick for him. So they had four arms here, all with high-potential outcomes, but really low um, – Low in terms of what they really became while they were there with Florida. So I think they got an SEC exposure, which is a great thing, but I don't think they got a whole lot of um, instruction. I'll put it to you that way. So what the, what the Indians probably see is that these are guys with a lot of potential that have done fairly well in the SEC, have been through tough uh, tough hitters and tough schedules and have good stuff, and obviously metrics they like, but Cleveland obviously sees – these guys need a little additional development and they think that they're taking guys that maybe other teams don't value as much because they didn't perform as expected at these colleges. They didn't develop the way they thought when they were recruited and Cleveland feels like they can get them to that point. So maybe they get kind of a steal there where the teams are kind of unsure of how things went for them at school and Florida's track record is, is not great. He, Jeff pointed out some other names today too. I mean, uh, Alex Fado was a name uh, he's not done great for the Tigers. AJ Puck's been hurt a lot. There's just a lot of a bad track record there. And um, I think if you're going to get somebody to, to help these guys out, it's definitely Cleveland, right? Or, I mean, I guess the Reds too, but um, definitely Cleveland. We got – go ahead. I think Cleveland looks for unique opportunities and looks to capitalize on those. You have Gavin Williams, Ryan Webb. I think all three of these arms from Florida – um, guys that I consider all unique opportunities for them to make the most of the talent that are that that they have. Um, Connor Cox, another guy I think was a, a unique opportunity, and then even some of the other guys in the draft I think um, are unique opportunities. Tanner Bibby, somebody that went back to school. Trenton Denholm, who had that down junior season. Aaron Davenport, who was very impressive and is very young for the class. Got to love his flow, by the way. I like that Hawaiian arm. Um, and that's over the top of the, over the hair. 
<laughs> yeah, let's let's count this up real quick while we're on the subject. So, um, guys with that vertical arm slot, that high arm slot. Let's see, Doug Nikhazy, um Bibby. Aaron Davenport, Davenport, maybe. Uh, Rodney Boone, Rodney Will Dion. Uh, the rest I couldn't honestly tell you. Um, I haven't seen enough on Hunter Stanley. Does Denholm have a high arm slot? I don't recall. I don't remember seeing video of him this year. And to be honest with you, I've seen 600 players, so. <laughs> they all blend together. Uh, Tanner Bybee, I know. Mason left, which I know, do not. Ryan Webb does not. Tanner Bybee does not. But um, I know for a fact Alaska definitely not. Yeah, definitely <laughs> he's not. got he's a side armor. Petway, um, I think as a three quarters, if I remember um, correctly. I know. I, I think Petway. I think Petway's over the top. I think Petway's got a high delivery because uh, he only throws in, in the high eighties. That's right. He has the small um, frame and a high three quarters over the top delivery. And I think Thornton is a high or a, a, a three quarters. And I, uh, Tommy Vitzmilia, their 18th round pick, does not. And I, I don't know anything about Reed Johnson, Reed Johnson, and Jake Miller as far as their deliveries are concerned. If I remember, John, or if I remember Miller right, he's a three quarters, and I. To be honest with you, I never saw a video of Reed Johnston. I read reports on him, but I, I haven't ever seen a video of him. He wasn't on my board. And Davis Sharp does not have a high delivery either. He is a normal one. So they've got you know a handful of guys in this draft. So Nikhazy for sure, Davenport, Boone, and Dion, and I'm sure one and Petway, and I'm sure somebody else in this class has it too. We have to identify. I think Hunter Stanley might because Hunter Stanley is another interesting guy. Um, Real quick, let's let's talk about Jake Fox real quick, and then let's get to some questions before the end. I know somebody asked about Jake Fox, but um, the lone prep hitter in this class, who I, I like to swing. I, I, I'm i not sure how to feel about him defensively. I like the answer that Scott Barnsby gave about how he got bigger going into his senior year, so he added some strength, which helped his uh, swing, and he got a little bit faster. That kind of reminds me of Carson Tucker, where – Tucker was a, a smaller kid in his junior year and um, really grew physically into a senior year and added some strength, and that helped his pop, and that also helped him uh, get a little bit faster. I don't know if Fox will play shortstop. I haven't seen enough to say one way or the other, but I do like that swing, even though it has that little weird hand hitch. Yeah, and Perfect Game had him 111, which I think is telltale. You have Baseball America at – 300-something, you have MLB.com in the 200s, and then you have Perfect Game, who I think probably saw him more than anyone else or who had better eyes on him. Um, seeing him go with the 95th pick, Cleveland evaluated him similarly to the way Perfect Game did. You're within that same range. And as I noted before, that he was a late riser, somebody that could have been a unique opportunity because a lot of teams didn't have scouts out or were getting scouts out late to see prep players. Um, so perhaps you're buying a player there in the third round that you think is on the ascension, that he is be on the beginning of becoming something more than he presently is or, or had been when he had been seen before. Um, he did play for a pretty well um, – renowned program at Lakeland Christian there in Florida that was a top 25 team. So you have high level experience there too. As I mentioned before, the athleticism, those things all come into play. 
I I think potentially type of bat that Tyler Black and Connor Norby both offered this season is what they're hoping to get in three to four years from him. Yeah, definitely a guy I'll have to watch developmentally, but probably uh, I'm guessing an offensive first, second baseman. The report said his arm was kind of fringy. I don't know, just the limited video I saw, his arm looked okay. I think like it would be average at shortstop based on what I saw. I don't know if he'd be what his you know, a plus look, defender. I'm going to look him up real quick, see what his cross-the-field velocity is. Yeah, I think the question on him, too, we can throw this in there. This came from Ohio Jaguar, Blaze on Twitter. He wanted to know how comparable Tolentino was to Jake Fox, and I would say that no matter what you find when you're looking this up, I would probably say that Tolentino um, – is more likely a long-term shortstop has better defensive tools and probably a more present, uh, had a better present hit tool than, than Jake Fox does now. But like you said, Fox can grow into that. I, I think that probably Tolentino has a safer floor as a, as a shortstop and a, and a guy who had a better hit tool coming out of high school. So infield velocity is 87. That's actually in the average range just a tick above. Um, when you start getting into the upper 80s for, for prep players now, um, that would be a, an average grade. Mm-hmm. You get into the 90s, you start getting into the above, and mid-90s, you're at the plus range. Um, but he's definitely average based on the 87 infield below that I'm seeing, and I don't know when this, this – so this was recorded last year. That was the 2020 showcase for him. So he was average before. And he's gotten bigger yeah, since he's then. he's gotten bigger, he's gotten stronger, and – He's gotten faster since then, so he may be a, a solid average, um, or just shy of above average. Um, as far as Blaze's question, thanks for the question, by the way. There, Blaze. I, I think that Tolentino more likely to stick at short. Jake Fox possibly a second baseman down the line. I'm not going to peg him as a second baseman right now. I think you're looking at Fox potentially to have a better bat than Tolentino, but Tolentino is a plus defender, has had a plus arm and above average um, run times, and so does Fox. So they're both quality players. Fox may be the more gifted offensive player with Tolentino, the more gifted defensive player. Do you think that I – j- I just thought – I thought Tol- Tolentino's hit tool – as a high schooler, might have been a little better than Jake Fox, but that was only based on some limited video. But I, I think Fox has the more projectable bat, I guess. Uh, Tolentino's bat came on late, kind of another guy that was late in the process. So there was a lot of people saying that it was a fringe average bat, and then he came in and got stronger as well um, and was able to drive the ball more and was showing more pop last spring. And um, really a guy that – been around a lot of showcases and performing at a high level, but not hitting. Definitely one of the best defensive shortstops in the draft last season with uh, some amazing acrobatic skills as a shortstop. Um, I, I think with Tolentino, you're potentially looking at a guy with a 55 bat and maybe 40, 45, if he grows into it, 50 power. And, and that's kind of what you're looking at for Fox. Fox is a few months younger than Tolentino was. As I said, Tolentino is the better defender. Overall, I think Tolentino will be the defensive 
shortstop, and Fox would be the offensive more the more offensive oriented player, my opinion. And while we're on questions, we'll get to some more of these questions here because they're going to lead us into what I want to finish up with here as we're um, at the 47-minute mark. I'm going to try to keep this close to an hour. Um, Plays also wanted to know, first pitcher from the class that will reach the majors. Well, I mean. What do you think? I I think it's lazy to say it, but Gavin Williams. It's got to be it's got to be Williams or it's got to be Nikhazy. I think. I mean, I, I can make a case for Jack Leftwich in the bullpen, maybe. There's several interesting guys. I mean, what if Stanley's shortened up and I mean he's already almost 24 years old. You throw him in the bullpen and if he's really touching 97, like the reports say, a guy with 70 control and he's throwing 97 miles an hour, even if he's 95, you have to consider bringing him into a middle relief role. Of course, there's other things to consider here who is going to be good, but who's going to be special. Because I say that because there's so much pitching depth in the upper levels. It's going to come down to who's mm-hmm. going to really head and shoulders stand out above the depth and quality and talent that is already within the organization. Because as you know, and I know there's a roster jam coming. There's a lot of guys that need to be rostered. So I'm going to guess it's possibly Williams, Nikhazy, or Mace. If I had to put my finger on one guy, I'm going to say Williams, but if Nikhazy's moved to the pen, like Jeff Ellis said, that's a good possibility right there. I think they're going to let Nikhazy start. I don't see any reason why they move him to the pen, at least not initially. So I think that'll slow Nikhazy down. Um, but I think I think he can get there fast. If I, I think you're right on Williams. The only only I think the only issue with this is, like you just said, there's a roster crunch, and I feel like they're not going to rush. They have four years to put any of these four or five years. I mean, mostly because these are college pitchers. They have four years to put most of these guys on the 40-man if they have to. I don't think they're going to make that decision before their hand is forced. Um, like I said, well, so that's going to delay these guys. The guys that are already there, they're going to have to force the issue. Right. So I I would say – I'm going to say Jack Leftwich. I think a track is a fast-moving reliever. I think they'll be a little more cautious with, with Gavin Williams. So I'm going to say – I mean, I like your comment about Hunter Stanley. I agree with that. Hunter Stanley – or Jack Leftwich are the two guys I'm going to say um, would get there first. Um, on Let's see, Blaze had one more question. Highest starting pitching upside outside of Gavin Williams? Um, Tommy Mace, that's my guess. Highest upside besides Gavin Williams. Oh, Mace or Webb? If Webb comes back healthy. Yeah, Webb's an interesting one. It's hard to say because you don't know what you're going to get. Post Tommy John, he may come back stronger like a lot of arms do. Um, left-handed, and I think you always need left-handers. I think both guys could be number three starters. Um, probably Mace because he's healthy right now, and I think he moves pretty quick. He's almost 20, 23 years old. Jeez, I almost said 27. I need to get more sleep. <laughs> <laughs> almost there. Almost oh, there. Abney's um, interesting okay. Though, Justin. <laughs> Yeah, you know, last Gabney sidearm guys seem to go quickly. Um, you know, Nick Sandlin's already up. One side armor per year, every year, um, for the last four, if I remember <laughs> correctly. Sandlin, Broom, Kevin Kelly, and then now Alaska Abney. And I love the name, by the way. I do too. What a great name. We're gonna have to. I'm gonna have to talk to him and, and figure out how he got the first name Alaska. Um, 
Kevin Kelly, by the way, not really – you said he's a side armor. I've seen him a couple times this year, and he looks much more three-quarters. To low, it's a low three-quarters, but he looks much more three, low yeah, three-quarters to me now. Yeah, he's a submariner where Abney would be more of a submariner, but he's what I would call a, a side armor. You know what's interesting about Abney is that he is like – what is he? He's like he's a bigger kid. Like you, he's um, he's six foot one. Okay, I guess that's not that big, but – like, Nick Sandlin's not a huge kid, and, and Robert Broom's not a huge kid. Usually it's the smaller guys who are side armors, and, and Alaska Avenue, to me, looked a lot lankier than a lot of side armors, but maybe I'm imagining things. Um, let's go to Nunzo Izio. Who is your dark horse, under-the-radar guy from day two? I'll let you answer first, Willie. Aaron Davenport. Love the flow. Love the curveball. Top-to-bottom <laughs> arm slot. If I had to go with a second guy, I'm using Ryan Webb again. Um, but I really like, really, really like Aaron Davenport. Just to be different, I'm going to go with Rodney Boone. Rodney Boone um, pitched really well at UC Santa Barbara. I mean, Michael McGreevy got a lot of attention this year. But Rodney Boone was the guy that won the Conference Pitcher of the Year award. Um, I believe he throws – is it maybe him or Will Dion? The throws in the mid nineties is Boone in the lower lower or lower nineties or is that Boone and, is that Dion? Boone is actually um, eighty six to ninety, but this spring he touched ninety two ninety three on occasion. Will Dion is uh, eighty seven to ninety and touches ninety three ninety four. I might okay maybe I'll maybe I'll go with Will Dion then because Will Dion throws a little bit harder and he's uh, left handed also and over the yeah. top. Yeah, I think I think he kind of has that Clayton Kershaw deliver. I'm not I'm, like you said. I'm not comparing him to Clayton Kershaw. I'm just saying if you watch their deliveries, he throws the ball like Clayton Kershaw. Just the kinetics of his delivery, not stuff. He's someone they could push to the pen. I mean, five foot ten, a buck eighty, soaking wet. I mean, smaller frame guy. And I don't, as I said in the write up, I don't want to peg him as a reliever. He doesn't have a change-up right now, so he's working on adding one. Young for the draft class, has that over-the-top delivery, but also had what I would peg as a 70-grade control command um, from McNeese State. So you have to take it with a grain of salt. Does that play up at a higher level in a better Mm -hmm. conference? I don't know. So I'm going to say he's got plus control. Um, not double plus, but definitely an interesting arm. A lot of interesting arms in this draft class. A lot to like. Well, there are a lot of arms. Uh, um, and Will, Will Dion said he's smaller, but he's he's 5'10", but he's a buck 80, so he's built pretty well for a, a smaller guy. Um, Nunzo, or is he, is Nunzio Izzo also uh, wanted to know who your dark horse from day three was. I'm going to throw out Jake Miller, the last pick for Cleveland somebody that I like, somebody that I feel like should have been higher on boards. I had it as a 8-10 to 10 round type arm. Um, I will not be surprised if he gets over slot to sign in the 20th round. Um, a young for class, college junior, above average control, low mid-90s, and an above average slider. He's somebody that has improved year over year. Could end up getting pushed to the pen, but he's a young for class junior, as I said. Somebody I think that could really surprise folks. I don't know. 
Hunter Stanley's interesting as far as day three guys go. Um, I'm going to go with Tommy Ventimiglia. He's a big kid. Uh, I mean, okay, so there's some discrepancies out there how tall he is. Um, he was committed to Stony Brook, and Stony Brook's um, athletic site had him at six foot tall. But that maybe that was maybe last year when he committed. He's six four according to MLB.com and Perfect Game. So I'm going to go with what they said. And um, yeah, six four, a guy who who can get the ball up to ninety one as a as a seventeen year old. He doesn't turn eighteen. Um, I believe until what next month? I think it is. Yeah, he'll be he'll be eighteen next month. So he's still young for the class. Um, you know, has three pitches. I think two good breaking balls. Again, this is a lot of projection. Like you said, these guys are you're talking about future projection. A lot of these kids, but he's a big frame kid who is young and um, cold weather arm, like we've talked about, who already throws in the low nineties. And I, I think he has potential for two above average breaking balls. So. I'm going to go with him as a sleeper. I think he's going to sign, too. So that's my guy to watch from, from day yeah, two. I'll throw in real quick. Barnsby indicated that they expect to sign all of these players, which kind of surprised me that they went that route. Um, maybe there was a few guys like Davis Diaz that they weren't able to get an agreement with um, that would have made sense higher. But, uh, you know, they I, I think they were able to stretch their pull. And it, as Barnsby said, it was his – Indication to us on the conference call that they expected to spend the pool and sign all of these arm, all of these players. <laughs> That's a lot of arms to find innings for. Well, I mean, again, a lot of these guys I don't think are going to pitch a ton this year. Williams, Nikhazy, all the Florida kids. Obviously, Ryan Webb won't pitch this year. Tanner Bybee, all those guys threw a lot of innings in college this year. So like, uh, um, they're all going to be in Arizona. With a six-day work week, so to speak, for minor leaguers, is it easier to have a six-starter rotation and work these guys in next season and get them innings that way? Yeah, for sure. And you can even you can even piggyback them. I mean, they're, they're piggybacking some guys this year even. So, yeah, the six-day the six rotation definitely helps them for sure. Um, Glenn Longwell. Who is the most likely to fly through the system? Uh, I don't think there's any. Well, we got the same question from kind of left which uh, um, that, that earlier question that we answered. Yeah, left which or, or you know maybe Gavin Williams. We'll see. Uh, I'm betting left which just because he might be a reliever. But like we said, we think Gavin Williams could be in Double A um, to start 2022. Who's the most likely to be a pen arm? I'm going to assume he means like starters who is most likely to be a pen arm um, because there are guys they draft that are relievers like, you know, Trenton, um, not Trenton, uh, Alaska Abney. And no, I think Alaska Abney was a starter in college. I think all these guys were starters in college. So Abney started two games um, and then was the closer there for Coastal Carolina for the Chanteliers. Okay. So let's take him out of this. Um, I don't know. We said left, which I'm going to stick with left, which I think he's going to be a reliever. Yeah, right he away. was a swing man in college. Ailman was a swing man. If I had to pick one of the starters, turned relievers, I'm going to say Will Dion or um, Rodney Boone, but I, I'll hang my hat on Will Dion right now. Yeah, I think the two lefties for sure. I think they'll keep Nikhazy in the rotation as long as they can, and I think we both think he can start. And then Glenn also wanted to know is Aaron Davenport as good a fit for the system as he thinks he is? Yes. 
Yes, we'll talk about him. <laughs> that's why I picked him. That's why he's a good fit. I said so. Therefore, he is, right? Um, and <laughs> that's the end of the conversation. The top-to-bottom delivery definitely fits the org, what the org is doing. Young for class, small, um, athletic, repeatable delivery, and I think he tunnels the curveball well, too. I think that's a plus pitch. He's somebody that could end up back of a rotation arm, maybe ends up a, a dynamite reliever. We shall see. Agreed. Um, Jeff Nearin, any draft selections likely to see immediate full assignments in low A or high A? Uh, I think Connor Cox for sure is going to end up in Lynchburg just because it's easier to place um, it's easier to place position players and he's a college hitter and Lynchburg hasn't had a whole lot of luck with outfielders. I mean, Petey Halpin's there, but the rest of the outfield there has been, you know, Planez is there and a couple other guys have been hurt. So I'm going to say Connor Cox to Lynchburg. I don't know that anybody is going to go straight to, to Lake County. Um, you know, maybe one of the, maybe one of the pitchers in the back half of this draft like I said, I think I think for sure Williams, Nikhazy, and the Florida kids, and Tanner Bivey are all going to hang out in Arizona just because of all the college innings. So Connor Cox to Lynchburg and, uh, I don't know, Alaska Abney to, to the captains maybe? I, I would say maybe Hunter Stanley makes the most sense, even though he's been a starter maybe if they push him into a reliever. Um, as I said, he's almost 24 already, so might as well sure. as push him up and out and get him going. But all of these guys are going to go to Arizona. They're going to get their foundation, orientation, whatever you want to call it. They'll get that in, and then they'll be assigned out. The guys in the upper half of the draft, uh, Nikhazy, Mace, and Williams, are not going to log a lot of innings. I think they handle them like they handled Ethan Hankins and Daniel Espino when they were drafted, which is to no more than 20 innings for these guys. They get one, two, three innings tops, and they'll slowly build them up. They're not going to stress those arms. They want to protect them right now. They've already logged plenty of innings. Absolutely. And then Quincy Wheeler, probably a common question, but which player of the tribe drafted would you describe as a sleeper, someone you overlooked whom you see as a decent bet to be a viable major leader? So many arms, so many arms. Um, <laughs> Who did you overlook among these arms that could be a sleeper? I mean, obviously we can't call Gavin Williams no, a sleeper. No. I don't know that you can call. I don't know that you can call any of these SEC arms a sleeper either. No, I, I mean, in, in all fairness, you can't call Webb one. You can't call Leftwich one. Um, maybe a Boone. You didn't overlook Trenton Denholm like you were on him yeah. the whole time. So I wouldn't even say Trenton Denholm is, is overlooked because. You thought he was a Tanner good pick. is somebody I was on last year. Um, you know, there's, as I said, there's several guys that I was on last year that just kind of came back into this cycle and didn't really do as good as they'd hoped ex- with the exclusion of Williams. Um, I'm going to go off the board there and just say uh, Dakota Abney was somebody that I'd seen the name. I'd only heard of him, but hadn't really dug in too much. And no, but he was the one that was on a lot of draft boards. Well, did you? But he's, he's, did you just rename him to a different state? Uh, <laughs> you just called him Dakota <laughs> Abney. <laughs> Dakota Abney and, and Alaska. Maybe he's got a sibling named Dakota Abney. Virginia, too, you know? Maybe a cow. <laughs> Georgia. We've got we've gotten Alaska, we've gotten Hawaii, you know, a Hawaii pick. Yeah, Alaska Abney is who I meant there, obviously. 
I'll have the Brady fatigue. Something like that, anyway. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to his uh, Coastal Carolina page and see if he's got any siblings. Usually they list that stuff. Yeah, uh, they list like maybe parents' names and stuff. They don't. Uh, of course, the one place where his bio is, they don't list any of his uh, his family names. So we're gonna have to get the story behind this thing, though, for sure. Um, born in Lawrenceville, Georgia, so he's not born in Alaska. So. Um. <laughs> All right, so Alaska Avenue is the guy you're going to go the with. Is the man. guy, uh, the mountain man, the guy, the pitcher from the north who pitch who throws from the That's south. Right. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, fun stuff we can do there. I'm not going to answer this because I didn't overlook anybody because I overlooked them all because this you know I'm still learning the draft and um, I can't say I had anybody in my mind that you already didn't think of. So I'm just not going to answer yeah, the question. I, as I said, I don't think um, I looked at um, Doug Nikhazy close enough, to be honest. Um, but once we drafted him, I looked a little bit closer. I, I'm an analytical thinker. I looked at numbers, and he didn't quite fit. He was just on an outlier for what Cleveland typically does. Same thing with Rodney Boone. I, I looked at the numbers, and I passed along with Rodney Boone. Um, I think it's the unique situation that COVID brought and the way that this draft fell this year, that it happened the way that it did. Um, but I'm, I'm pleased with the draft, and I had somebody ask me if I was happy with this draft class, and they named a few names. I, I think we've talked extensively already about the, those guys, but I think this is going to turn out three or four arms that's going to end up being beneficial for this organization long term, and maybe a few of them end up being org guys and getting traded away, but you always need pitching depth. And, and frankly, I like the draft class. Yeah. I'm interested to see where things go. Um, I like the two hitters they took. I like, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about Connor Cox just because I think that, you know, he's a guy that, that fits them a little bit as far as he doesn't strike out a lot. He gets on base. He looks like he plays a good center field. Um, he's got some pop in the swing. You know, they've had success with some of these, um, sleeper college out there, it's like we mentioned, and Micah Pries and um, a guy who hasn't unfortunately played a ton, but Julian Escobedo. Um, and I'm excited to see what Ryan Webb could be as far as, you know, as he comes back from Tommy John, did the Indians get value there? Because if he was healthy, he probably doesn't get to the fourth round. And, uh, yeah, I, I really want to see Doug McCasey pitch. I just want to see him be Doug McCrazy on a major league mound. <laughs> Uh, really, and I, I'm I'm interested to see Tommy Ventimiglia too because that's like an arm you can dream on, and it's interesting that you it's not often you get an 18th round high school pitcher and you wind up signing him. That's usually a round that um, guys go to school at. So it sounds like he's going to sign. And I I don't know what to make of David Sharp either. We didn't talk about him, uh, infielder and pitcher at Clemson. Didn't have a lot of control. Uh, had a very strange year, but the Indians said he's just going to be a pitcher, but that's maybe a guy that Athlete. Um, now that he's not going to worry about hitting, he could take a leap forward pitching-wise. And They're buying athlete there and, and their know. belief to develop him. Low, mid-90s fastball. Um, somebody I thought that could, de- de- could develop going into this year um, and become a third, anywhere between a third to fifth round pick. Uh, similar with Tyler Thornton, big, tall, slender guy, 6'4", 200 pounds, only hits 90 
has reportedly hit up to 94 this year, but didn't quite make the velocity gains. Otherwise, he probably would have went higher as well. He kind of seemed to take a step backward in his junior season. And something that Cleveland focuses on sometimes is these guys who enter their draft-eligible season that have performed poorly, perhaps for pressure that they put on themselves. They made some adjustments and they haven't gone well. Sometimes it's just a case of luck or injuries, things that happen. Um, but, you know, I, I think we've really dug in on this draft class. And I, as I said, I'm happy with it. I have the two. And real quick, before we get out of here, breaking news, the Indians finally signed their first uh, non-drafted free agent. It is Seth. I have to go back and find the tweet now because someone sent it to me. Um, no, it's Seth Cadell, who was uh, – Gavin Williams catcher at ECU uh, this year. Of course, it's a catcher. That's I think I think um, who was the catcher from Michigan? The Indian signed last year after the draft. Oh, I just had his name and I lost it. I know exactly who. You're <laughs> I know he's I lost captain. it too. He's, he's on the captains. Yeah, he's in Lake County. I've seen him play. Good catcher. Um, so no surprise the Indians took a catch or signed a catcher, but he had a good offensive year for ECU and obviously was uh, Gavin Williams catcher. So that's fun. All right, let's get out of here, Will. Uh, Will this we got nine of the twenty-one profiles on the site. Um, those will roll in as Willie gets some more sleep and um, recovers from this week. Uh, he's got a birthday tomorrow. Willie, his wife's birthday. Uh, happy birthday to your wife, and and thanks to, for her letting you take the time off and uh, doing what you do for us here at IPI and in the draft. Uh, so, yeah, pay attention to the MLB draft page on IBI as we finish filling those out. And then I am sure next week, next two weeks, Willie will have all kinds of other draft content to follow up with this. Am I, am yeah, I so right? I'm going to finish these profiles. I'm going to go back, and obviously I'm going to play catch-up with these non-drafted free agents. I don't expect a whole lot. Not surprised to see them sign a, a catcher. Um, in fact, I think somebody pointed him out to me a few days ago and said they would like to see him sign. Um, may have been my friend who goes by Tondo on Twitter. Um, but I can't quite remember who that was that was hoping that we would get Williams catcher. So happy with that. Check these profiles out. I'll get um, the new catcher signed as an undrafted free agent written up after these profiles. I've got several of them in the hopper that are going to be going up or going to be submitted tonight. Um, but definitely thanks for everyone for listening and, uh, entertaining me and my passion for the Major League Baseball draft. <laughs> it was a great week. Good week to be on vacation. You know, the draft, your wife's birthday, and, and just getting all this done. Um, thanks to all our readers, especially if you got this far listening. Uh, I assume you're a reader, and if you are, um, we've had probably the best two days in site, in site history, uh, at least from the new site is concerned. Um, I think by tomorrow we're going to end up um, – Tomorrow we should end up with more traffic um, in 2021 than we did all of 2020, and it's only July, so that's you know pretty cool. So thanks to everybody who reads and checks out the site, whether you're on the message boards or looking at Willie's draft content or prospect rankings, subscribing, uh, looking at the notebooks, the uh, around the farms, whatever you're doing on there. Um, thanks a ton. Continue to read, subscribe if you can. Subscribe to the podcast. Uh, I, I'm sure Willie is still going to have a lot of draft tweets, so follow him on Twitter at WillHood99. 
JL Baseball for me, uh, JL underscore Baseball for me on Twitter, official underscore IBI. Uh, I think that covers everything. Willie, thanks again, man. Appreciate you um, dedicating all this time to this. Definitely much appreciated, and uh, I will catch you here soon, man. Wow.